latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes, Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, no longer with the Vols, but they got a, still a great shot to be a top four SEC team, a team that's going to be, I think, pretty highly ranked at times this season. they got a great schedule, as always. Also be joined by Penn State senior forward Lamar Stevens. Uh, my bold prediction in the Big Ten, Penn State's going to make the NCAA tournament. Pat Chambers is taking this team to the NCAA tournament. I know Lamar Stevens agrees with me, but why? He'll be on the podcast. And also, Kevin Paga. He is a assistant athletic at Michigan State. He is uh, got an unbelievable analytical mind. He created the KPI, which is one of the six metrics that the NCAA Men's Basketball Selection Committee uses to determining selections and seedings. He will join me on the podcast as well because we're going to discuss my latest NCAA tournament bracket. That's the headline this week. No games have been played. The headline is my bracket is up on NCAA.com in March Madness and there hasn't even been a game played. Also, you can find my Big 12 predictions, Pac-12 predictions, analysis of the ACC schedule. There's so much to digest. We're going to have interviews with Jalen Smith from Maryland later in the week, WCC predictions. American predictions, all that coming on NCAA.com in March Madness. So for my list this week, and we're going to do this every week, we've been doing this every week, try to come up with five schools in my bracket that I really struggled where to seed, and they are. In the third, on the third line, Virginia, lost a lot, defending national champs, but it's hard to just not keep them somewhere in the top four lines and put them as one of the four best teams in the ACC. But I don't know how good they're going to be. So that's why they're number three. Auburn, same kind of deal. Lost their guards. They're not going to shoot as many threes, but their front court should be the best that Bruce Pearl's had. Didn't know where to put them. Put them in on the sixth line. Arizona, great recruiting class. Chase Jeter's back. But once again, they're going to be really young. So I wasn't quite sure. Have them on the nine line. Florida State, Leonard Hamilton, always has a team that gets better and better going toward March. So they have to be in there somewhere, but they lost a lot as well. Don't know where to put them. Put them on the 10 line. Michigan, new coach, Juwan Howard, but they got a big three. Now they've got a lot of the pieces we don't know about, but they got a big three. Xavier Simpson at the point, Isaiah Livers on the wing, and John Teske inside. So I have them in the first four as an 11 seed, but still very difficult to figure out where to put them. One other news item this week, and this came out on Monday, but this is absolutely tremendous. And it came from Virginia. So once again, going on Virginia, and that is that Tony Bennett was offered a contract extension, uh, a increase in pay by the University of Virginia. And... Instead of taking the money, after discussing with his wife, Laurel, uh, the Bennetts decided to defer that and essentially pledge $500,000 toward a career development program that's been launched for current and former UVA men's basketball players. So they're investing back in the program, which should also quiet any thoughts that Tony is leaving for another university. That's not happening. I don't see it. If anything, at some point, I think he could leave for the NBA. But they won a national championship. They went through quite a 
180 from losing to UMBC as a one versus 16 to winning the national championship in unbelievable dramatic fashion with the overtime game against Purdue, the overtime again, uh, or, you know, the way they beat Auburn late and then the overtime win over Texas Tech. All of it, three in a row, really remarkable. Uh, and, and Tony says here in the in the press release, uh, well, first, the athletic director, Carla Williams at Virginia, says just this just doesn't happen in, in our industry. And in reading the quotes from Tony, you know, he says, first of all, he said that he's at peace with where he's at. You know, he says here, it's where our heart is. Our donation is all about career development. He said the idea was his wife's. She's always said, is there something we can do that can make a difference? That's been on our heart and mind, and we've talked about it a lot. We try to train our guys to be the best basketball players they can be. The school educates them. We try to teach them what it means to be a leader, and we try to pour the pillars into them. But what else can we do? So they're trying to help them even more. And uh, this is obviously a great way to give back to the university, to the program that he has now built into one of the best in the country, and really, you could argue, the best in the ACC over the last few seasons. All right, so plenty to get to there. Got the bracket that I want you to digest and debate. We're going to talk about that a little bit later here on the podcast. First, my interview with Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes. And and Rick, before we get to this roster as we're getting ready for this season, I have to tell you that I have had the pleasure of talking to Grant Williams on a number of occasions, even in the offseason. And I cannot say enough great things about him and what the Celtics are getting in Boston. And if you could just tell me maybe an anecdote or something about just what an amazing young man he is, because I, I just I love him. I think he's just tremendous and will be an amazing aspect to the Celtics, the Boston community. And he's reaching out to schools in the area, he wants to go to games, whether it's women's basketball, soccer, you name it. What was he like to coach? Well, you know what? Pretty much what you just said is how and who he really is. You know, he was as involved on this campus as any student athlete that I've ever been around personally in terms of really investing his time into his uh, fellow athletes here on campus, fellow students. And uh, coaching-wise, obviously, you know, the story's pretty well documented. He came in. He was overweight, out of shape, not highly recruited, but – our coaching staff, uh, you know, they did a great job. They they evaluated him. They knew, uh, you know, Des- Desmond Oliver had known her from the time he was a, a kid, basically, and had been around him and watched him and believed in him from the time that he we hired him here when he left Charlotte. And the um, fact is, Grant gets up every day trying to make the day better than yesterday, and that's that's the truth, you know. And the best thing I can tell you about him is that he's sincere. Uh, he wants to uh, he wants to make sure people understand that he doesn't think he's better than anybody. He's very humble that way. And basketball wise, I think he'll always sort of carry a chip on his shoulder because he's always been told he was this, that, or whatever. But uh, he'll set out to, again, get better every day and see where it leads him. And look, I mean, he was a two-time SEC player of the year. I mean, he's a great success story uh, academically off the charts, just did everything. Just the, the epitome of like, what we love about college athletics and the true student athlete. So I know you can't replace him, but how do you fill that void? Because he had such a presence in your locker room and in your program. Well, you know, you're right in terms of what he did, what he gave us. You know, we 
as time went on, we built more and more around what we were doing offensively around him. But, uh, you know, Lamonte Turner is going to be a terrific leader. You know, Lamonte's been with us longer than any player that we've coached. He was the first player that we actually really recruited here and had to sit out his freshman year. And, and, uh, so this is his fifth year and has truly done a great job in terms of the leadership. And Jordan Bowden's been with us four years. He, those, those two guys have played a lot of minutes together. Then you throw in John Fulkerson, who's been here four years too. And, uh, so, uh, and then Jalen Johnson. I mean, those guys have played basketball here, and Eve Pons has played minutes. So, as a group, you know, we'll go in. We don't. We didn't go into any year with Grant thinking that he was the only way that we were going to play. You know, Admiral. We knew what we could do with Admiral. We knew what we could do with Jordan Bone and and Lamonte Turner. All those guys. And so, as we put this team together, you, you know, we're still somewhat. I don't like to use the word experimenting, but we're not putting anybody in a box right now. We're uh, trying to see if we can get some guys to expand their games and try to fill what we lost from a team standpoint. So, you know, we love to have fun and do stuff like, you know, early brackets when it doesn't really mean anything and the game hasn't been played. And But Tennessee, you know, it's interesting. I, I didn't know where to put Tennessee, but I want to make sure I included them at a, at a high enough level. But I think what this also says, and I think you got to feel good about this, is we're at a point now where it's just a given. Like, I feel like, okay, they're going to be pretty good. Don't know where yet. It's early, you know, a lot of new faces. But at the same time, there's a sense, there's a confidence that you've got this program where you know they're going to be in the mix somewhere. How hard was it to ensure that that's the case? Well, you know, Andy, I think you're right. And that's what we wanted. We wanted people every year to look at us as being a team that's going to be in the mix some way, somehow. And, and uh, But what we did, you know, it's the same way we went about trying to build programs at Providence and Clemson, Texas, and now here that we wanted to get a foundation, a, a base of, of players that could come in and lay the foundation, the, the work ethic that we wanted, the culture that we wanted. And those words are sometimes thrown out there, but uh, they're true. You got you to get what you want and you got to get it in place. And, and uh, the class we just lost uh, did that. You know, they, they, they laid the culture down where that, this group that we have now, we're really excited because they came in and they had someone that uh, they got guys in the program that had been through it. And now they trying to get them up to speed to understand one is a lot harder than you think. But uh, the fact is, you know, we're, we're excited about our young group. You know, we think that we've got a chance to, to win some games with these guys. And it's going to be fun watching those guys grow as well. So uh, we're excited and uh, we, we've got enough. We just got to put it together. The biggest rule change in the offseason is the three-point line. Uh, in the early season workouts, uh, how have you instituted that and, and, and seen your players react? You know, Andy, that's uh, when we first put it down before it was even uh, actually put out there. You know, we put it down and we actually had it down wrong because we had the corner intersecting with the NBA line, which it doesn't. And uh, early in the early in the summer, we were stepping out of bounds all over the place. And uh, but now that we've got our court refinished and got it down the right way, uh, I like it. I do like it. And you know, I was a person that was in favor of the of the uh, three-point, I mean, the lane being widened too, just to open up more cutting, more movement like that. But uh, I like it, and uh, we're shooting it at, you know, the the past tells us that this year the the percentage might drop very little, but it will eventually come back better than what it was. And uh, But I, I don't see any effect in terms of what it's done for our guys. That They're certainly still not uh, shy about shooting it. Scheduling, um, Rick, you always have consistently – regardless of where you've been, you know, played an elite non-conference schedule. You know, we can go back to last season. 
that game against Gonzaga, uh, which clearly was a precursor to what we were going to see from Tennessee in the SEC and in the NCAA tournament. You know, you're taking this game against Washington. I think they're going to be, if not one or two, in the Pac-12 in Toronto. Uh, you're always looking for things like that. Uh, you know, you've got the rivalry game now with Memphis. They're going to be a top 25 team. That game's at home this year. What have you seen in terms of the games you were able to control and those that were sort of given to you in the various challenges uh, that you like about the schedule? Well, you know, and we do have Wisconsin, uh, which is a good game because, uh, uh, you know, what we, we, we want to see a little bit of everything. We think that's important with the non-league schedule. We want to challenge ourselves. Yeah, you're at Cincinnati. Yeah, 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 we're at, yeah, we're at Cincinnati. So we want to see, you know, we want to challenge these guys. They, they, they want to play that kind of schedule. They really do. And, and uh, it's tough. It is. But I, I do think it helps you get better as the season goes on. I, I really do. I think it prepares you for the uh, conference play but what you hope is that you can win enough of those games that you don't dig yourself in a hole for postseason play but uh, I also like to think that the NCAA committee they look at who you're willing to play and what you're willing to do and they take that in a, uh, and I do think they do that Andy I, I think that they really like it when when coaches and programs are willing to go play places that they don't have to and but as you said, we've always done it, and we will continue to do it. And the game he had no control over is a monster one in the middle of January, late January, in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. You're going to be at Kansas. They'll be projected to be one of the top two or three teams in the country. Uh, how have you liked this this challenge being positioned right in the SEC to give you an out-of-conference game, uh, usually a big-time one, uh, just right in the flow of the SEC? Well, you know what, I, I'm not sure I was in favor of it in, in conference play like that. But, you know, I think obviously ESPN wanted a, a week where I think it's now it falls, what, in between uh, Super right before the Super Bowl, am I right, or right after something like that, where they wanted they wanted that so they could really give their full attention to really trying to make it, you know, what those other challenges look like, you know, the ACC, Big Ten. And, and uh, I think they've done a good job with that. I really do. And uh, but. Uh, when you play as many conference games as we do, and, and since you don't play a quote unquote round robin in our in our conference, it really somewhat feels just like another conference game. It really does, and it's just another tough one on your schedule. And and going to Kansas, I think I mean I've been there many times, and I think it's one of the great places to play. And Bill does a terrific job, so it, it'll be a, another challenge. But um, you know that's that's what we why we do this. Yeah, I remember uh, many of your Kansas-Texas games, uh, a couple that were uh, just epic. I know I went to one in Austin, one in Lawrence, uh, among many that you guys uh, played against Kansas that uh, always were, you know, coming down to the wire or elite games in some form or fashion. Uh, Rick, as always, I appreciate it. Love talking to you. And I will see you uh, next month at SEC Media Day. All right. Thanks, Andy. And coming up next, my conversation with Lamar Stevens, the Penn State senior forward, on why – He thinks I'm right. Penn State's going to the NCAA tournament. What does he say? And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Lamar Stevens from Penn State. And Lamar, I've been bold in my off-season predictions. I've got a bracket coming out that came out, excuse me, uh, this week on March Madness on Monday. And in the bracket, in my bold predictions, I've got Penn State in the NCAA tournament. And not a game has even been played yet. So, <laughs> how off am I? I, I? I think you're right on point. I think that, uh, you know, this team is really deep. It has a lot of older guys that are ready to step up and make um, huge leaps this year. 
and I'm excited to see. And there's even guys that, you know, may, people may not know much about that I think are ready to make big impacts like Trent Buttrick and My, uh, Myron Jones and uh, Isaiah Brockington and guys like that. So uh, this team is full of excitement, full of guys that are hungry and have uh, lots of proof. Look, and I want to get into those guys here in a second here. This team has had moments over the last couple of seasons yeah. where you could have made arguments that, uh, you know, this team could have been in the NCAA tournament if it had put together a full season. Uh, right. I remember, I think it was a year ago, at, I'm trying to remember what point when I was talking to your head coach, Pat Chambers, and at that moment, later in the season, he's like, oh, yeah, this is an NCAA tournament team. You know, the problem was you got to look at the whole season. Right. And you guys had not played that way the entire length of the season from November to March. What makes you so certain that those problems are gone, the inconsistencies uh, that pre- have prevented this program from crossing that threshold and being in the tournament? Yeah, uh, I just think that the best teacher teaching is uh, always experience. And I think those experiences have taught me so much and taught coach and even my, t- and then my teammates and that's what's really going to help us uh, take that jump because we know what we have to do. And we're going to start that from the uh, first day of practice. We're going to have that hunger. You know, we know what our goal is. We know how good we can be. And I think that everybody's realizing that. And we're just we, – we're ready. We have something to prove. And I think everybody's hungry. And Coach has been doing a great job of just getting us ready um, all summer mentally and physically. So – I'm I'm super excited. I, I really think, you know, those past experiences that you mentioned is what's really going to be the thing that drives us. Yeah, it was two seasons ago uh, when you guys made the run in the NIT where yep. you really could have made an argument to be in the NCAA tournament, and that was, you know, you guys and Nebraska. And it was last season, I was just looking here. I mean, you had that win against Michigan mm-hmm. uh, at home uh, on a chilly Tuesday night in February. Um, you know, you knocked off. Maryland, yep. which is a team that really was on the doorstep of maybe going to the Sweet 16. Um, you know, there was – you swept Illinois. I mean, there were a number of games here that uh, – and then you took Minnesota, by the way, to overtime in the Big Ten tournament. The the key aspect of, you know, this, the, the veteran leadership, you're talking about learning from the experience. What's been discussed in the offseason among the, the veteran guys uh, to ensure that this team gets off to a great start? There's no – the main thing that I think that we've harped on, that there's no waiting. You know, our time is right now, and everything that we do, we need to do it with, uh, like, it's our last day. And we need to give our full effort each play, each practice, um, no matter what we're doing. And I think that, you know, the whole team is taking pride into that. And like I said before, I think that everybody really has something to prove and. I'm excited to see what they do. I think that this team has really grown over that, those times. And I think we're ready We're ready for that next step, and that step is the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, looking at your schedule, there's plenty of opportunities. I mean, what you can't do is you can't afford, you know, to have those kind of losses uh, that you shouldn't have early in the season. Uh, and then you've got games like at Georgetown – you're in the NIT season tip-off against an Ole Miss team or possibly Oklahoma State or Syracuse. You know, you can yeah. take on Wake in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, a game that, you know, arguably you could say you should win because they're going to be more toward the bottom of the ACC. And then you're going to have the, right. you know, you have an Alabama team coming into Penn State. You've got the Big Ten games early against Ohio State on the road, home Maryland. That could be a top-ten type team uh, that early yeah. in the season. So there's going to be so many opportunities. 
before Christmas to really make a statement of what kind of team this is going to be. All right, so let's shift to the team itself. The newcomers, the guys you're seeing now that I'm not seeing yet, who's made an impact to where you say, you know what, they're going to help us? Yeah, I think Myron Jones is going to be a key piece for us at the point guard. We're playing point guard, sharing that role with Jamari Wheeler. Trent Buntrick, I think he's taken a huge step uh, this offseason, you know, taking pride in his role and just doing what he does, you know, really well. I think that Isaiah Brockington, the transfer from uh, St. Bonaventure, He's taken huge steps this summer. And, uh, Curtis Jones has been, you know, a great additional leader to this team. He has so much experience and has seen so much. Um, just adding these guys and, you know, that makes our bench that much better. Um, we have, I think we have 10, 11 guys that have a shot of playing significant, like good amount of minutes um, every night. And I think with this team, we have guys that can step up in different facets every night that will help us win games. And I think we'll have, we have so many different guys that's going to win us games this year. So um, that, that that's what really separates this team, in my opinion, and the biggest difference that I've seen in my uh, past years here. Lamar, I have you as one of the you know top 10 players in the country, potential All-American. Uh, for that to happen, what must you do? Uh, I think that we just have to – I just have to get this team and uh, myself ready, you know, from day one, the main thing for me is just winning games. I would love to get those accolades, but I would love to win even more. And, you know, if we, if I can leave Penn State in a place that maybe it hasn't been in a long time, and I, my goal and everything that I wanted, it would have happened. And that's that's my main focus. And hopefully, I think that stuff will come with it just naturally. But right now, my main focus is just on winning and getting this team where it needs to be. How much is this maybe the biggest challenge you've had in your career? Um, I don't know. I can't. I don't think this is the biggest challenge. You know, we were we were 0-10 last year with freshmen and still trying to get guys to get up and play every day. And we did that last year. And that was probably the most challenging year of my life. Um, you know, every day just trying to keep guys motivated after losing so many games. Uh, to finish 7-3, and three, that, was, that was challenging. I think that experience for the guys that are still here on this team that went through that has made this so much easier. I think everybody's motivated. These guys have made it so easy on me. Coach has made it been great for our team and just keeping us going, keeping us hungry. So I think with the supporting cast I have around and just the experience that we went through last year, I think it's setting us up, you know, to be prepared for a time like this. And Lamar, before I let you go, you talk about that 0-10, you know, there could have been a lot of other schools where the head coach, the staff could have been in a lot of trouble. The faith yeah. that they've put in Pat Chambers and this staff to see this through, what has that meant to you to not have that kind of disruption? Honestly, it's meant the world to me. Coach Chambers is one of the best, not outside of just coach, he's one of the best people that I've ever been around. He's definitely the best coach that I've ever um, been able to work with. And he pushes every day, you know, it, I think everybody has that faith in him and on the campus and he, he's just been great for us. And so his belief, he has that belief in us and we have that belief in him. And I think that's what really is going to make it work this year. And I, like I said, I'm just glad he, that they kept him around. I think that he's a perfect fit for Penn State. Lamar Stevens from Penn State, one of the top players in the country, regardless of conference. Uh, Lamar, I will see you next month at uh, Big Ten Media Day. Thank you. 
All right, sounds good. Thank you. And coming up next year on March Madness 365, my conversation with Kevin Pauga, Assistant Athletic Director at Michigan State. He created the KPI, which is one of the six metrics that the Men's Basketball Selection Committee uses in selecting and seeding the teams. We're going to go over my latest bracket, what he thinks, some of the teams I left out, where I seeded some teams, and why they're in certain locations. And joining me now here on March Madness 365, Kevin Powell, who's the Assistant Athletic Director at Michigan State, also the founder of KPI, which is one of the six metrics that the NCAA Men's Basketball Selection Committee uses during that selection process throughout the course of the season. And uh, Kevin, got a new bracket out on March Madness uh, on all our social media platforms. And a game hasn't even been played, but we love doing this here in the offseason. This is, you know, me projecting on what may occur uh, certainly with the top seeds. And here in the preseason, Michigan State, Kansas, Kentucky, and Louisville, four top seeds, two seeds, Maryland, uh, Texas Tech, Seton Hall, and Florida. So first, in terms of a top eight, without a game being played, what did you think? Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot to, a lot going on here, and, and appreciate you having me on. Uh, appreciate you having me on, uh, on on the podcast for for sure. But to, but the great thing this time of year is that uh, we're we're in kind of the speculation season. Um, there's a, there's a chance for a lot of teams to to be good, but uh, but certainly the the thing that uh, that's that's going to start to matter most when when the season starts in, in 50 days is is really building those resumes and. We can we can get into quality of teams and and some of uh, some of what you've got there on the on the first two seats there it's it's splitting hairs a little bit at at this time of the year and and on selection Sunday but the but the great thing is that there's going to be a good number of head to head matchups among those teams um, just that uh, just that you mentioned um, early on there's there's several matchups where those where those institutions are gonna are gonna play each other in the non conference and then get into conference play so. So even as uh, as we can sit and, and speculate uh, as 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 an industry, um, the great thing is that a lot of it's going to be determined on the court here pretty soon. All right, so I can already hear the criticism coming from the ACC that uh, on the three line, I've got three of the top four teams: Virginia won the championship last year, UNC and Duke. Now my rationale here was, you know, Duke new recruiting class, not as good as last season. Trey Jones back, Carolina. Uh, really retooling with a great freshman in Cole Anthony, but we just don't know how good they're going to be. Virginia lost a lot, but I got a lot of faith in that team. In your experience, for a Duke and a Carolina, neither one to be in the top two. How, how rare do you think that would be on the top two lines? Yeah, it is, it is pretty rare. It, uh, um, those programs have had uh, had an unbelievable history of not only success in the NCAA tournament, but uh, success in the regular season that is that has dictated some some high seeds uh, along the way. So, um, as uh, as as you note, um, Greensboro is uh, is one of the first round uh, first and second round sites as part of this uh, this bracket, and uh, and a lot of the access to to Greensboro is is going to be dictated based on based on kind of what happens in in particular with the ACC and and some other schools that are geographically uh, kind of centrally located to, to Greensboro as, as well. So um, certainly a, a lot, a lot going on, on there. And, uh, and as we already noted, there's, there's several head to head matchups. Um, in particular, Duke's going to have Kansas, Duke's going to have Michigan state. 
um, that uh, that are going to come into play right off the bat um, in order to to try and establish that that pecking order as uh, as we move into non conference play. All right, so let's establish a couple of things uh, as we start the season here. So, for example, an obvious one, uh, and and did this in the bracket, but Gonzaga, I've got I've projected them to be a high enough seed to where they would be a four and still play in Spokane. Now that's Spokane Arena, not the kennel. Uh, explain for everyone what that, why, you know, a school can still play in their home city, even if it's not their home arena. Yeah. So, so for those eight first round sites, um, and those sites are um, on the Thursday, Saturday side. You've got Albany, Spokane, St. Louis, and Tampa. On the Friday, Sunday, you've got Greensboro, Omaha, Sacramento, and Cleveland this year. Um, and whether or not you're allowed to to play in there is is dictated not only um, by who the who the institutional or conference host is, um, but also the the number of uh, contests that are played in a, in a given arena. So, in this case, the Albany uh, part of the bracket is is hosted by the Metro Atlantic Conference. Um, Idaho is the is the host in in Spokane. They're right across the the, the Washington Idaho state line. The Missouri Valley Conference in St. Louis, and then uh, the University of South Florida down in Tampa. Um, the ACC in Greensboro, Creighton at, in, in Omaha, Sacramento State in Sacramento, and the MAC and, and Cleveland State are kind of co-hosts in in Cleveland. That same rule applies in the in the second weekend as well in terms of in terms of avoiding those sites. Um, last year. That came into play with with Ohio State. They were not able to play in Columbus that first weekend. Also, the University of Louisville ended up in the in the East Regional in Washington D.C. Because if you recall, the South Regional, um, where there was that uh, that really dramatic final between Purdue and Virginia, that was hosted at uh, at the Yum Center in in Louisville. So Louisville was not allowed to to be in that region altogether. So um, that. Uh, that is built in to, to try and, and keep the the event as, as neutral as possible. But uh, with Gonzaga, they've got they've got a building that is uh, located in their same city, but isn't uh, isn't a building that they normally play in. So they would be allowed to play in that uh, in that site if they're able to to earn a high enough seed, where Spokane is still sitting as an option. So one of my favorite things, obviously, is to project ahead, and if. In any way, or, you know, to be honest, I think some way this could happen, not maybe these two schools, but we could get an unbelievable matchup as we have in the past at Madison Square Garden uh, in my fictitious East bracket. If it's a one versus two, we'd have Kentucky Seton Hall, which was an unbelievable game I did last year at the Garden, could have a rematch of that in the Elite Eight. Yeah, and there's and, and there's a lot to do with geography as as the – as the bracket is built, um, the committee is building a one to 68 seed list. They're, they're taking the 32 automatic qualifiers from, from each of the conferences. They're also selecting the 36 at large teams, combining that into one list. That's one to 68. And then they've got a pretty exhaustive list of bracketing principles that come into play. So just kind of going through your, your one line in, in your bracket, Michigan State's your number one overall seed, and they end up in in the Midwest in Indianapolis, which is closest to to their campus. Kansas is the is your second overall seed, um, and they end up in Houston, which of the three remaining sites is is their closest. Um, Kentucky, even though Kentucky is clearly closer to Indianapolis than it is New York, because New York and L.A. are the only two still remaining, and Kentucky's third overall. 
Kentucky pushes to New York, and then Louisville as the fourth overall seed pushes out west. We've seen a lot of instances over the last several years where that one seed out west um, ends up being that fourth, uh, that fourth number one seed. Last year it was Gonzaga, who also happened to be um, obviously out uh, out west themselves. But that's how that's how we often see that, and, and in your bracket, it uh, it plays out no different. Where Louisville's kind of kind of that team, and and that that uh, those bracketing principles trickle down through the bracket. Um, there's some principles in in terms of the first four teams from a given conference if they're on the first four seed lines. Um, all need to be in different uh, in different regional. So um, there's principles in in place. The committee's trying to balance those brackets. They're trying to to build geography. And, and I know that there's um, certainly some folks that uh, they're like, hey, why why don't you why don't you just use a straight S curve? But there there are some unintended consequences of that S curve related to to both geography and conference affiliation that I'm that I'm not sure that uh, um, that people realize or or would be all that excited about. So one of the interesting things, and I was when I was debating this in, in terms of the teams that trying to put in this field uh, before a game is played, is what to do with BYU. So they were my one of my first four out, in large part because Yoli Childs has a nine-game suspension to start the season. So if you're a BYU fan, and BYU is going to be missing their best player for the first nine games, how, how do they make that up, do you think, to try to be in play you know, and and maybe how will that even be judged? Uh, because he's going to miss so many games. Yeah, and 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 you're right that that's a good example. They'll have some opportunities in the West Coast Conference, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, in, in in particular. But the committee will take player availability into the equation as they're evaluating BYU come later in the season, certainly. But in their case, in particular, even despite the injury, they're they're part of the Maui Invitational. And uh, and one of the most important games that you can play on your schedule. Actually, not an injury, but he's ineligible for the first nine games. Correct. Yeah, correct. So, um, so it's an it's an ineligibility issue. Um, it's not an injury issue. But uh, but in in BYU's case, they're going to to be part of the Maui Invitational, and the most important game that you can play on your non-conference schedule or conference for that matter. Oh, I know where you're going. It's that it's that first game of a three game MTE. BYU's getting UCLA on that on that Monday out uh, out uh, in Hawaii, and whether they win or lose that game could have a dramatic imp- impact as to who that second and third game uh, ends up being. And so, so the opportunities that are that are created depending on how that bracket falls, depending on how wh- whether BYU wins or loses that game, they'll get the winner or loser of Chaminade in Kansas. And uh, and all due respect to both opponents. Um, there's a there's a dramatic difference between getting a, a Kansas team that you've projected really high and a Chaminade team that is that is a really good Division One or a really good non Division One team, but a non D one nonetheless. So that game might be the most critical on on BYU's schedule in terms of creating the opportunities that come in Game Two and Game Three in the Maui. You know, it's so funny you say that because well, I've been preaching and you've taught me this before, but I've been preaching that. So often here, especially in the offseason, I'll give you another great example of this. So Pepperdine out of the WCC as well is another school that I think could be in the mix. They play Arizona in the Wooden Legacy in Fullerton. And, you know, that's a classic case that if you were to beat Arizona, now you're in the winner's bracket of that tournament. That could completely change the trajectory of a Pepperdine season. 
Yeah, and, and we've seen it happen multiple times over, over the last uh, the last several years, where things break uh, things break the right way, the wrong way, or or a bracket, uh, at least from from a perception as to who you think is going to be good going in, or who even ends up good two three months later. Um, there, there's a lot to be gained from from multi team events in general. Um, that's an opportunity for for in most cases neutral site matchups in order to to kind of build build that resume. So as as scheduling has become more and more complicated um, for for all sorts of institutions at uh, in all sorts of different positions, um, those those MTEs and and most notably the the eighteen brackets where you're getting three games at a neutral site. There's there's uh, there's certainly a lot going on. I mean, I think that you remember in Atlantis a couple of years ago. A good Purdue team and a good Arizona team in a loaded Atlantis field matched up against each other in what was the seventh place game, and those were two really good teams that year. Um, and, and it just so happened that that uh, that, that bracket was was uh, particularly strong in that season. I'll give you one other example uh, as to not just why I'm high on Seton Hall uh, overall and their talent, Miles Powell, but the reason I've got them pushing potentially to be a one seed is their schedule. Uh, and I think that will benefit Seton Hall. They're playing Michigan State in the Gavit games at home. They've got Maryland, which I think will end up being first or second in the Big Ten at home. Uh, and then in the Battle for Atlantis, the tournament you're talking about, they were given, you could argue, a favor. On the other side, you could say it'll be difficult, but I think it's maybe the best first-round game of any tournament they're playing Oregon in the first round. So right off the bat, they've got a top 25 game to start that tournament. You win that in that loaded field. Now you're basically guaranteed to get three elite games coupled with Michigan State and Maryland. And they're going to have the kind of resume if they win the Big East to put them potentially on that one line. Yeah, and, and that's, the, that's the thing as you're, as you're building out a non-conference schedule. Um, especially if you've got a team that you think is good enough to to be able to to manage that type of uh, the, those type of opponents, that type of quality, um, it's it's a it's a good opportunity to kind of push that envelope. Rare is the case that that you hear on Selection Sunday somebody talking about, gosh, they scheduled too hard, and and there there's a few cases that 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 certainly comes up, but the but the more common. Um, the more common argument that you hear is, is gosh, they just there 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 wasn't enough on that resume. There weren't enough opportunities. They they were they were sub 500, and 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 it gets into a deeper discussion in terms of some folks that uh, that may not have as many opportunities. But uh, but you're right that I, I think that we've seen collectively across across the sport that uh, that folks are trying to take care of. Um, those opportunities and trying to to maximize them. I mean, Belmont makes it into the into the tournament last year, um, and and they're not in a in a conference where there's nearly as many quad one and quad two opportunities. But but they go and beat Lipscomb twice, once home, once once away, and in kind of a regional rivalry that that they go home and home each year. They win at UCLA. They played at Purdue and and, and lost, but uh, but they played that game. They they beat a Murray State team during the during the regular season. Those are still opportunities to to build that resume, and and ultimately, from a metric standpoint, the quality of your team, the predictive metrics, um, certainly matter. Um, but you also need to have those uh, those results based metrics uh, in, in good uh, in good shape for the committee as well. Kevin, always a pleasure to uh, break this down with you, uh, and um, I know we're going to do this, you know, throughout the course of the season. 
Uh, KPI is, is, as we said, is one of the metrics that the selection committee uses. Uh, hey, one last thing I just noticed here again on my bracket. This has never happened because the first four isn't that old. I once again put ASU. That would be three times in the first four. So that that record, they're gonna. If, if that were to happen, that would be a record that I don't know if it, that would ever be broken. You're already making people nervous in, in, in September. You can you can definitely tell it's basketball season and we're ready to go. Yes. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Sounds good. Thanks, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, you can find our podcast wherever you download podcasts. And, of course, on all our social media platforms at NCAA.com, March Madness. We've got so many great things coming for the podcast. This season, you're going to see and hear radio calls, from some of the great games of the week. We're going to continue our rankings every week. Player interviews, coaching interviews, go over the brackets, Power 36. There's going to be plenty for you to digest with the podcast throughout the course of the season. And look, we're getting close to our 100th episode here at NCAA.com, March Madness, and the Turner Podcast Network. So uh, get used to it. We're not going anywhere. Enjoy it, and as always, I appreciate you downloading it. Thanks for listening.